Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's reading brings us to 2 Kings chapter 24. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and Yahweh sent against him bands of the Chaldeans, and bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke by his servants the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of Yahweh to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and Yahweh would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Jehoiakim was eighteen years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself, and his mother, and his servants, and his officials, and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of Yahweh, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made, as Yahweh had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths, None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, seven thousand, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, one thousand, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of Yahweh it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. So as we come back to the start of the chapter, we have Jehoiakim reigning over Judah. That was the very end of chapter 23 yesterday, 609 BC, lasts for 11 years, and it's in that window that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come up against Judah in Jerusalem. Jehoiakim becomes his servant for three years. After those three years of servitude to the Babylonians, he rebels. 
And if we're taking the chronology of the chapter as being straightforward, then verse 2, it's when he rebels against the ne- against Nebuchadnezzar that God sends all these enemies against Judah. According to the word of Yahweh that he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. We are at a point in history where a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament have already been written down. I mean, they've already occurred. Isaiah is is gone. I mean, he's lived and died. Jeremiah has been preaching for a while. He will go off into exile. Well, not quite into exile. He's going to end up down in, in um, Egypt instead with some of the other Jewish people that don't go into exile in, in Babylon here shortly. So, Several of the prophets of God at this point have warned about the coming destruction, including Jeremiah. And the reminder, it's for the idolatry of God's people. Chapter 22, the sins of Manasseh are mentioned here. Jehoiakim dies, and his son Jehoiakim reigns in his place. Just one letter different, really, in terms of how we pronounce it, at least. Very similar names in the English text. The king did not come out of, the king of Egypt did not come out of his land again. So that's a reference to Pharaoh Necho, who we saw manipulating the throne of Judah. Do we look back after the death of Josiah? The people of Judah took his son Jehoahaz and put him on the throne. But Pharaoh Necho wasn't too thrilled about that. And instead, he's the one that's going to take Jehoiakim and put him on the throne, changing his name from Eliakim first. And then Jehoiakim, his son, taking the place. And he's only going to last for three months. But anyway, now Necho, Necho played with the throne, but now he's out of the picture. Babylon has done its deed already and, and done some crushing work over Egypt. So Nico, well, Pharaoh's staying home. Now, as we get down to verse 8, as we learn about Jehoiakim, 18 years old, only goes for three months of reign from in the year 598 BC, his mother's name was Nehushta. This is interesting because it was just back in chapter 18 that we saw the word Nehushtin. Just add an end to this woman's name and you have the name that had been given to that pagan worship practice involving the old bronze snake from the book of Numbers. Then the snake lifted up on the pole by, by Moses in the wilderness so the people might look at it and live that Jesus picks up on in John chapter 3 as he's talking to Nicodemus and says that the Son of Man must also be lifted up, and that whoever looks at him may not perish, but have everlasting life. That that Nehushtan, just one letter off for this, this woman's name. He does evil in the sight of Yahweh. That makes a third king in a row, and he's going to be followed up by a fourth as you turn over to Zedekiah by the end of the chapter. So we are adding our tenth and our eleventh wicked kings over Judah. And that's the end. That's the end of the list. So our final tally, if you've been keeping score, 
Israel had 18 wicked kings, evil in the eyes of Yahweh, plus one, um, who does not actually get described that way because he only reigned for one month. The only thing we know is that Shalom killed the king before him, which is evil in the eyes of the out of the Lord. So um, we just haven't quite firmly put him in that camp. I haven't, although it seems like he would be. Now, Judah has eight kings who have done good in the eyes of Yahweh and 11 who have done evil. So what's that make? 19 and 11 is 30. 38 kings plus Solomon, David, and Saul working our way backward to the beginning of the, the line of kings. So 41 kings in the history of God's two nations. All right. Now, as we move forward here, Jerusalem is captured. Nebuchadnezzar sends his servants against Jerusalem, besiege the city. This is one where you want to stop and talk about what a siege is with your children. There's a lot of good information out there on that if you're, you're not too familiar with that form of warfare. But essentially, this is where your army surrounds a city. It'd be hard to do by the scale of some of our cities today. But you would take your army, you would surround an entire city, cut off their trade routes, you cut off their, their supply lines so that they can't get stuff in or out. The goal is that you are forcing them to surrender without even really necessarily having a battle because you're starving them out. That's a siege. Now, warfare can certainly occur. Uh, violence can follow that and often did. Now, Nebuchadnezzar also came, and Jehoiakim, this three-month ruler, gives himself over. We're not told the reason for it, but he's taken prisoner. So he surrenders himself, he's taken prisoner, along with many, his mother, his servants, his officials, palace officials, so that's a group. Nebuchadnezzar takes them off into Babylon, as well as all the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the the treasures of the Judean king. He takes all the the vessels of gold and cuts them into pieces and carries those back. They've been there for a few hundred years, since Solomon's day. He carries the people back with him, and they're only numbered 10,000. This is an interesting observation right here. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they numbered 2 million or more. And now, as Nebuchadnezzar comes for the remnant of God's people, he is going to leave some behind, and we're not told how many here. But he only carries away 10,000. The difference in those numbers is stark. And it is what happens to the people of God when they refuse to follow God. His blessings are removed from upon them. And instead of their their kingdom growing, as was the promise. Because of their faithlessness, their kingdom was shrinking and had been for a long time. Only the poorest of the people were left behind. And then Nebuchadnezzar makes Mataniah, the new king over Judah, changes his name to Zedekiah. 
that he changed two of these men's names, gave them new names. I didn't actually do the research to see the meanings of the name changes, but it signifies authority, right? That Nebuchadnezzar can say, your name is no longer this, but it is this, is a reminder of who's in charge. Nebuchadnezzar is flexing his muscles, and every time they hear themselves referred to by this new name, they're remembering that Nebuchadnezzar is their authority. Now, Zedekiah also did evil in the eyes of Yahweh. 21 years old, he reigns 11 years, so from 598 until 587. His mother is the daughter of Jeremiah. That's not Jeremiah the prophet. He is the son of Hilkiah. This is Jeremiah the son of Libna. So not the same man. But we learn in verse 20 that it comes to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that God cast them out. God has been warning of this ever since the first covenant he made back with Abraham. The covenant of circumcision. If you're not circumcised, you will be cut off from the people. The Israelites, when they come out of Egypt, Exodus chapter 12, are warned that they will be cut off from among God's people if they don't follow him. And so it is that after hundreds of years, centuries of faithlessness among God's people, he is finally cutting them off. They will know what life is like apart from him, apart from his blessings and provisions. Now, we can stop, and this is a spot you can talk about with your children. Why aren't we cast out? Why, why doesn't God cut us off? I mean, I sin all the time. I sin every day. My faithfulness to the Lord is not great. Why do I not get cut off? Because the Lord has already won that forgiveness for us. Jesus Christ has already paid the price. He's already paid the punishment for my sins and your sins as he died upon the cross. God's love for his creation is shown in that, that Jesus was willing to step into this world and not just step into it, step into our place as Israel reduced to one, one man, God and man, suffers on our account. And we are, because of what Jesus has done, we are reconciled to God. We are given peace with God. Then we learn, the very last note of chapter 24, that Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar too. We'll talk about that more tomorrow.